Welcome to another edition of Who's Better Baseball, the podcast where we answer a simple question on each show. Who's better at baseball? I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein, managing editor at JustBaseball.com. Got Colby Olson here to discuss Orioles versus Red Sox, which I understand in the Just Baseball offices has been a hot debate. You're trying to take a lot of people's money because of the Red Sox. Am I correct? A lot of people's money. I'm trying to take Peter's money. I'm trying to take Arm's money. I'm trying to take anybody who will doubt the Red Sox. And let me preface this episode with with me saying that, like, this isn't a bet for me to say that the Red Sox are going to make the playoffs. The Red Sox are going to win the World Series. No, this is genuinely a bet that the Red Sox will, one, be better than the Orioles this year, and two, that the Red Sox will win more than their um, projected wins on you know any gambling site, whether it's DraftKings, BetMGM, FanDuel, what have you. Right, the Red Sox are right now at seventy-eight and a half. The Orioles, seventy-six and a half. So we'll start the episode there. Yeah, I mean the odds are in your favor, and basically what you're saying is, look, they're going to be a five hundred team. I mean that's to to boil it down. I mean they're going to get to eighty wins, and. I think that both of these teams could get to that mark. I, I think that where I stop short on both of these teams, and we've been doing a lot of these previews on my show. We've been doing, of course, division previews on the Just Baseball show. I've been comparing rosters head-to-head because, to me, it kind of paints a clear picture. Like, when I did Twins-Guardians, it was just so apparent that the Guardians have a better roster top to bottom than the Twins, even though the Twins could put it together this year. Because that's an easier division to win, I, I could see either of those teams making it. I don't think we're going to get four playoff teams from the same division, right? So as we go into this season, is it fair to say that the likelihood of either of these teams being playoff teams is pretty slim? Yeah, I think it's definitely slim. I would say I would put the Red Sox chance of of making the playoffs right around probably 20% going into this season, right? They could catch fire. I think, you know, their top end projection or like like their 90th percentile outcome is winning 87 88 games right but yeah most likely i think they're going to end up around 80 to 81 wins this year yeah and i I think that it for one of them to make it it would take like you said like their 90th percentile outcome and a team like the rays just having one of those weird years where for some reason the rays don't don't seem to connect and they had one of those years last year and they still made the playoffs so the rays are becoming this team where the roster is too good. I really do think that this division is split into two tiers, but it's interesting to talk about this bottom tier. So let's get into it. Orioles first Red Sox. I like to break this down, starting with the, the lineups and generally the top five of each lineups. So then we'll get into the depth. So you're looking at your Red Sox, Tristan Casas, Raphael Devers, Justin Turner. You got Yoshida. That's the big addition. What's Yoshida going to bring and Alex Verdugo. You like that five going up against Cedric Mullins, Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Santander, Ryan Mountcastle. Do you like your five over the Orioles five? I mean, it it's definitely close, Ryan. Like when I was putting my notes together here, it's really, really close. I mean, I'll start with the Orioles just to kind of go against my Red Sox real quick because you have Adley Rutschman who could legitimately compete for the MVP award this season. Like, I think he is a legitimate six to seven war player this year, right off the bat. Like there's not a flaw in his game. He doesn't strike out. He walks a ton. He's hitting for power at the major league level, plenty of doubles power. Like he is one of the best players in baseball and is going to be a big reason why the Orioles can even compete with the Red Sox this year. Like without Adley back there, if you replace Adley with another catcher, that's even like a three to four win catcher 
I'm like, I don't know if they even have a chance, man. Um, the big question mark for the for the Orioles, I think Gunnar Henderson will translate. He translated last year when he came up, had a 125 WRC plus and over 100 plate appearances last year. I think that that will continue. I could see him being a four win player this year, but that's their two best players. Two, Gunner's a rookie, Adley's in his second year. Mountcastle actually was very unlucky last year. I think he is due for a really good season this year, but even then, it's a first base profile with not much defense, right? At the most, you're getting a two and a half to three win player, which is probably what Casas is. I would kind of view Casas and Mountcastle as like cross them out because they're basically equal. The question mark for the Orioles is Cedric Mullins because he had this. Flash in the pan, six-win season two years ago in 2021, hit over 30 home runs, stole 30 stolen bases. Like Last year, a 106 WRC+, plus, a 3.4 war, and a expected WOBA below 300. Like It kind of shows that it was a bit of a flash in the pan in 2021, and I'm not sure what to expect from him this year. Like I could see him putting up three to three and a half wins again, but I don't think that's what the Orioles are going to need like if they're going to surpass the Red Sox Santander was amazing though here's my question here's my question to, to get to your Red Sox for a second who's their second best player because we know it's Devers is the best player who's the second best player on the Red Sox right now you know it's it's Yoshida Casas Yoshida or Casas right so so what I look at is I say you know, Adley Devers, right? Devers obviously is going to bring you more offensively. I think the complete player of Adley is maybe a little bit better than Devers, but whatever. Even if we cross those two guys out for the impact and we kind of set aside the, the Adley effect, which is, you know, their season last year turned around when he came up. I have to note it. They were, what was it? I got the, I got in front of me 63 and 50 with him, 20 and 29 with that. And so, you know, 13 games over compared to nine games under when he was behind the dish. Gunner to who is my question in that front five. Who's the second best player? If Yoshida's awesome, okay. But are you thinking that, you know, with, with his bat, he's going to be more impactful than what the Orioles are going to get from this rookie that, you know, or is he still a rookie? Does he still have his rookie status? He a, Gunner? He's a rookie. So, I mean, a potential rookie of the year candidate here in, in Baltimore. Yeah, I, I think Yoshida is going to seamlessly translate. Um, he's going to be huge in the middle of this Red Sox lineup. He hit 404 in the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. And I think that wiped away anybody's concern that, that Yoshida is going to translate, right? We saw Seiya Suzuki come over and he didn't necessarily translate right away. Well, he did right away, but then he slowed down towards Injury. the end of the season. Injuries, what have you. Yeah, but different type of player. Yoshida is a guy that... Um, we saw how confident he is with two strikes. He's not going to give aw away in a bat. He's going to walk probably more than he strikes out. Um, and he had an OPS over a thousand in Japan. So this isn't a guy coming over um, where you're questioning the power either. Like Yoshida does have big time power, um, especially in Fenway where he's comfortable going the other way off of that green monster. Um, Casas, I'm expecting to take a huge step forward. He's lit spring training on fire. He had a 120 WRC plus um, last year when he came up and that's a 120 wrc plus hitting under 200 like he walks so much and another guy that's comfortable hitting with two strikes that if he can raise that average which i'm expecting this year to above 250 he's gonna walk plenty hit a hit for enough power to be you know realistically like casas endeavors like wrc plus could be closer than people um 
people don't realize how close that could be. Justin Turner is a huge addition in my opinion, because JD Martinez did have a good year last year, but it was one of those years where like, it did feel a bit fluky. He wasn't hitting the ball very hard. He gave away a lot of at bats at the end of the season. Um, Justin Turner comes in um, with a lot of leadership here. I think that's another key for me with the Red Sox this year is there were a lot of rumblings last year about the Red Sox. Um, chemistry being way off and i heard that xander bogarts was kind of leading the charge of like not the clubhouse was just off um so they brought in justin turner they brought in some like glue guys adam duvall is a sneaky addition he hit 38 home runs uh two years ago and in fenway a guy that pulls fly balls all day long he's gonna have it's gonna be like the short porch at at yankee stadium for duvall so i'm excited like top to bottom I think the Red Sox lineup goes head to head with the Orioles lineup, but I think it is very close. Like Adam Frazier, Jorge Mateo at the end of that lineup, even Austin Hayes, I'm not excited about. So like top to bottom, I think I might like the Red Sox equally as much as the Orioles lineup. Here's the thing for me. I I think that, you know, uh, up top, I I like the Orioles top end talent a little bit more. And I actually like their depth more too. Here's something that I pulled when I was looking over their stats here. How many Orioles do you think had 16 home runs last year? I don't know. Tell me. So you got Mullins, you got uh, Santander, you got Mountcastle, you got Hayes. uh, You got also Ramon Urias as well, who's slated on their bench right now. Ryan, 16 feels like a very specific number. How many of those guys hit between 16 and 20? There was like three of them that had exactly 16. Okay. (laughs) Exactly 16. But my point is they have a bunch of guys that are just hitting 15 home runs where, you know, I I look at Santander and Mountcastle, like, would it be shocking to see 55 home runs between the two of them this year? I I don't think that that's necessarily out of the question. Can a couple of these guys, you know, you're going to get maybe a little more from Adley. Gunner should bring some pop to the lineup. I think top to bottom, there's more power. I look at the Red Sox lineup and yes, if Duvall is healthy, you know, that's a, a big ad for them in the power department. You know, maybe Turner is going to get a lot of doubles, but home run power, it really leans heavily on Casas endeavors. There was only one Red Sox that Red Sox in this current lineup, and a lot of this is because of injuries for some of these guys that hit over 13 home runs this year or last year, and that was Devers. The rest of them, less than 13 home runs across the board. So it, it's just, I think that obviously it's nitpicking a single stat. But I don't think that the Red Sox have a better offensive lineup than what the Orioles have. I really don't. So I didn't talk about Alex Verdugo. And as you know, Alex Verdugo yeah. is is one of my not favorite. I mean, I think just as a Red Sox fan, one of my favorite players um, because he is a little bit underappreciated as a player. So last year started the season, uh, the first two months of the season, he was actually playing through a broken toe. Um had a 56 WRC plus through the first two months of the season. Just like ridiculously bad. June 1st rolls around. From June 1st on last year, he hit 302 with a 122 WRC plus. He was a different player. He played well in the WBC. I'm expecting um, at least what he did last year, like close to that, like a 115 to 125 WRC plus from Verdugo. And if he's that, the difference between him and Santander is... I don't know. I don't know about that. Like, look at what Santander did last year. I mean, he he did that and he hit 30 bombs. I mean, he hit, you know, had 120 WRC plus 30 bombs. He had a, a, well, that was a shortened season. I can't really look at the 2020 WRC plus and credit him for that. I don't know. 
I, I think Verdugo, I, I just don't know, you know, if he is okay, the 120 WRC plus guy. It's not like from that that month on, from you said June on, he was a 145 WRC plus guy. You know, it still was okay. He got healthy and was above average, but he wasn't great. And I just don't see that many great hitters in the Red Sox lineup. And I think I see more good hitters in the Orioles lineup. That's fair. And I think the lineup is the one area here. Maybe the bullpen as well. I think that's debatable, but the lineup probably is the one area where I would shade towards the Orioles. But I do want to talk about pitching because <laughs> I've been avoiding that. Now nah, let's just let's stick on the offensive <laughs> side. I don't. I I really am not interested in, in going over uh, the rotation I have to defend right now with Kyle Gibson as my ace. I, I'm not really, uh, you know, looking looking that forward to that one, that part of the conversation. But go ahead. Rattle yeah, off no. The, you, you, names, if you want to start with the pitching talk, and and I can I can uh, clap yeah, back bad. at you. That's fine. It's bad. I mean, look there's not a lot to like you're basically hinging the entire rotation on Grayson Rodriguez a being part of it for like 150 innings which is a massive question mark already and him being awesome from the jump because there is I mean outside of what I'd say it's Cole Irvin ceiling maybe a three maybe and then the so rest I can them, I have the notes here if you want me to go, run go, down go, pitching is your forte so so go go through this so yeah I know the Orioles rotation I mean credit to to Grayson Rodriguez for for battling back from injury and and he's looked incredible in spring training um there's nothing bad to say about Grayson Rodriguez but it is very questionable to hinge to have your best and most reliable arm in your rotation be a rookie that does have some health concerns, right? That's very, very sketchy. Then behind Grayson Rodriguez, you have Kyle Gibson, who had a 5.05 ERA and a 4.28 FIP last year. He has a 4.6 ERA over the last four seasons. You have Cole Irvin behind him with a 4.11 ERA and a 4.25 FIP over the last two seasons. Kyle Bradish might be the arm that I'm most excited about in this rotation. He had a 4.9 ERA last year and a 4.46 FIP, but that doesn't really tell the whole story because he did have like three or four really bad ball up starts where he had like six to eight earned run in, in each of those. But outside of that, like most of his starts were solid. So that's one guy that I could see like taking a step forward and being pretty decent. Um, Tyler Wells is another guy that was pretty good last year, 3.23 ERA and a 3.8 FIP. The one weird thing about the Orioles rotation, the way they've built this rotation, and I think it's very questionable, is they've signed and developed a bunch of guys here that don't strike anybody out in a world now where we don't have the shift. So balls in play are going to be much more valuable now. It could really hurt them having guys that don't strike guys out this year. No, it could. It absolutely could. They don't, again, I mean, that's pretty much Grayson's the only guy, right, that you think is going to, you know, maybe even cross over, what, nine strikeouts per nine? I don't know if anyone else is going to get, you know, beyond that. Really what you're looking for as a recipe for success for the Orioles is five and dive starters and trust in your bullpen and hoping that you you get enough runs, which it's a tough division to do that in. I mean, to not have any arms you can count on, but I will say we have yet to mention the Red Sox rotation, which, you know, it's not like you're standing on the grounds of the Red Sox having a top 10 rotation. This rotation has a lot of question marks themselves right now. Definitely has a lot of question marks, but I feel like they have a lot of bullets in the chamber and that's okay. very important, right? This isn't like they have five 
guys and three of them are question marks. They legitimately have eight guys that can start for them this year. And you're hoping that, you know, there's enough bullets in the chamber where enough guys stick in this rotation. So right now you're looking at Chris Sale, who people have brought up his injuries and I'm not really that concerned, right? Tommy John surgery at this point is pretty standard uh, as a surgery and the recovery from it. He came back last year and looked good in the two starts that he had last year. And then what happened? He gets hit with a comebacker, breaks his finger, which is completely fluky, right? Then he falls off his bike again. Fluky, fluky stuff. I'm not worried about him being an injury concern. I'm actually expecting him to throw 150 plus innings this year. The stuff has looked good in spring training so far. Um, We've seen Chris Sale, whether he's at 93 or 97, succeed because he throws so many different pitches and can command all of his pitches that he's a pitcher that doesn't need the velocity necessarily to be dominant. He can be dominant at different velocities. Beyond that, Corey Kluber. People are sleeping on Corey Kluber, Ryan. They really, really are. So last year, he had a 3.57 FIP. He actually had the lowest walk rate amongst all qualified stars last year at 3%. His FIP last year was better than the following pitchers. Kyle Wright, Joe Musgrove, Tristan McKenzie, Jordan Montgomery, Julio Urias, and Pablo Lopez. People are really sleeping on how good Corey Kluber still is, right? He's not a superstar. He's not an ace like he once was. But he can still get it done on the mound, uh, mixing in a cutter, a curveball, and a sinker. And none of them are above 90 miles an hour, but it doesn't matter. He gets weak contact. He can still get whiffs off of those pitches. So I'm actually, again, I'm pretty excited about Corey Kluber this year. He threw 164 innings last year. He was reliable. He made all of his starts. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm relying on him. Then behind them, Brian Bello. Um, one of the most exciting rookie arms in baseball. Last year was terribly unlucky. FIP though, and gave up only one home run in 57 innings and a 55% ground ball rate. So I'm expecting a lot from him this year. His changeup had a 44% whiff rate. Um, Nick Pavetta is a big question mark. But there is like a part of me that believes Nick Pavetta can be at least like a league average starter, like a league average five starter, just innings eater. His Stuff by Stuff Plus ranked 15th out of 45 qualified pitchers last year, but his location plus graded out as below average at 98. So that's the problem for him. He has the stuff. He just leaves it over the middle. Um, so we'll see if he can do it. Beyond him, you have Tanner Houck, James Paxton. Uh, Houck's going to be in the rotation. I'm not sure what to expect from him. He walks too many guys. He has the stuff to make it happen, but not sure. Paxton is probably the biggest wild card on here, but anything you get from him to me is icing on the cake. And then finally, Garrett Whitlock. In nine starts uh, last year, 4.15 ERA and a 3.64 FIP. He's another ground ball guy, sinker, slider, changeup. He's currently working back from injury. He should be back by mid-April. He's already throwing in games, so I'm not worried about that injury necessarily. Paxton also is throwing off a mound again. So while it looks like this Red Sox rotation is beat up to start the year, a lot of these guys are going to be back in two weeks. Okay. I mean, what I would say to the the overwhelming depth is that that you're already seeing injuries uh, to a rotation that you had injury concerns where it's like, all right, how is this going to continue to look throughout the season? Are guys going to continue to shuffle in and out of that IL? And then we look at the projected rotation and and this is that roster resource. As much as we can hype up Corey Kluber, he's projected to have a four, six, five ERA. I'm not saying he's going to do that again, 
but I don't know if I would look at Kluber and still say front of the rotation arm. I just, no. you think he is for sure? No, be, no, no, no. You know, he's three again. And I look at him and I say, you know, if I'm to, to run, run their season through a simulator, right? How many times does Cole Irvin have a better season than Corey Kluber this year? Like, I, I don't, I don't know if there's a big gap there. So, then again, you're going back to the Orioles side of it and saying, you know, can Grayson be more available, available and outperform Chris Sale? Obviously, you're going to lean Chris Sale, and Chris Sale has the track record. Prospect huggers are going to say Grayson's going to come up and be awesome and be rookie of the year. Again, I just don't think that either of these rotations are good. I think both of their rotations suck. I think that the Orioles have a better lineup. That's my opinion on it. I, I I just I just think that the Red Sox have more bullets in the chamber, and like a lot of these arms have upside. So like, do you need all you. of these arms to hit? No. But if you get three beyond Sale and Kluber, if you have three other guys that you can count on, yeah, are any of them really like Chris Sale is probably not even an ace. Anymore, he's probably like a step below that. Um, but again, you're just counting on them to be 500. And I really think this team at least has the depth to be 500. We didn't even talk about Trevor Story coming back at the big, at the, in the middle of the year as well. Adalberto Mondesi is coming back at some point, like in the next few couple months. So like there's people coming back to this Red Sox team as well that can help them in the second half, which last season was the big issue for them. The Red Sox last year, had the sixth best record in baseball on July 1st, which is insane. Then from July 1st on, everybody got hurt. Their rotation at the end of last year was like Cutter Crawford, Josh Winkowski, uh, whoever, whatever AAA arm they could get to pitch last year was their rotation the second half of the year. So my point is that like all of those, all of the eight guys I just listed are better options than who they were even throwing out the second half last year. I think that, you know, you look at these two teams and it kind of was a tale of two halves. And it's basically like you're saying, all right, so the Red Sox, they fell off after July. Look at the Orioles season. It was, you know, a really bad April, about 500 May. And then, you know, June, they're getting a little better than July, August. They're awesome. And they were this great story with the bullpen, the way it was rocking when you had, you know, the the Batista coming in to close out games and, and all the excitement that they were able to drum up for a team that's just been in the doldrums for so long in a city that's kind of aching for it. I think the Orioles have this hype around them where you're seeing a lot of us at just baseball kind of fall in love with this team because it's always fun to see that rebuild start to work. And that's what happened last year. What you're saying is you got a, a team that won 83 games. You're thinking that, you know, they're maybe still a year away. They're going to slide back. And then the Red Sox, who are traditionally a better you know franchise, is not going to fall off as terribly as they did and be a 500 team. Is that essentially kind of the way you're viewing this situation? 100%. I think the Orioles, um, I mean, we talked about it pre-show, about how they didn't do enough in free agency. I think Adam Frazier having Adam Frazier at second base, even having Austin Hayes in left field and Kyle Stowers, we didn't even talk about a DH. Like, yeah, there's a lot of 
holes that they could have filled, I think, in a better way and given themselves a few more wins here. Um, so, yeah, I think they're still a year away. Like, you still have Colton Kowser in the minor leagues. Jordan Westberg should come up and, and play second base, you know, n- at least next year, maybe at the end of this year. Um, but, you like, D.L. Hall maybe gets a chance this year, but he's still not going to be, like, fully on the MLB roster yet. So, yeah, I think next year is the year where the Orioles have more minor league talent coming, um, but also they can hopefully be a little bit more aggressive in free agency. And yeah, to your point about the Red Sox, that's exactly my thought, right? They were a good team into basically the all-star break last year. They still were fighting for a playoff spot. They were still even a little bit in the division race. Um, And then the wheels fell off with injuries at the end of last season. But I think that, Heim Bloom's, um, you know, strategy this offseason was not to make a ton of big splashes, but let's just build a lot more depth around this team so that if there are injuries, we can just plug and play guys and and just keep cycling guys in and out of the lineup so that everybody's healthy. Um, or if guys are hurt, we don't we're not panicking and we're not bringing some guy out from AAA that like, all right, go perform or else. Yeah. Because that's what happened last year. Like they had Duran in center field and he couldn't do it. Yeah. No, I, I think that, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see what this looks like at the deadline because I, I kind of think the Red Sox and the Cubs had similar off seasons as teams that can't just rebuild. And so they, they make these smaller moves and, and it puts them in a position where, hey, if the magic is there that year and at the deadline, either of these teams is kind of in it they can make a, a little trade and they can maybe, you know, make a run. The Orioles are just sitting in this kind of purgatory of a small market where they're just not doing anything. And if we had this conversation and instead of doing what they did, they simply did the bare minimum. Let's just say you take this roster, you add Michael Walker and jerks and Profar on it, just that alone. And that's just guys that were lingering on the market. I mean, you know, they could have even gone further. Let's say, they signed Chris Bassett, uh, Michael Walker, and Jerickson Profar. All of a sudden, you have uh, not necessarily an ace of an ace in Bassett, but a guy that you know is going to pitch to a sub four ERA, give you innings, give you starts, lead a team. You have another guy in Walker that that you think, all right, he's better than a lot of the options we have, and you're concerned about Hayes and you're concerned about the DH spot. Well, Profar could kind of handle some of both of that. So. It's the fact that they did nothing that allows this to be a conversation. They could have built on their momentum and made the smallest of additions and been the clear-cut fourth team in this division. And I'm a little bit surprised they didn't because from a development standpoint, you have to think that surrounding your younger players with some veterans, but also getting your younger players in situations to compete on the field every day and feel like you are competing for a potential wild card spot is great for their development. So I'm, I'm a little curious why teams don't put more emphasis on that. Like when they do have a good young core, at least put like some one or two year deals around that core to make them compete just a little bit more. Like you don't want, you don't want your young players like just kind of going out there on a 72 win team. Yeah. Knowing that they have a job, you know, it, it's not, you know, it's not bad to have a couple of stop gaps in there. And luckily what the Orioles did, which really moves the needle. And it's a shame we didn't talk about it is they picked up James McCann. I mean, that's just going to really change their fortunes to have McCann as a backup catch. It's actually not a bad move considering uh, the Mets are paying all of his salary. So, Hey, not a bad backup uh, for Adley, but 
Yeah, they, they did not, you know, an offseason where your big moves were Frazier and McCann leaves us wanting a little bit more. And that's why the Red Sox could be better this season. We'll see how it ultimately shakes out. We'll see how those bets work out for you. Uh, I do think that the over 78 and a half might still come in. I think the over 60 or 76 and a half could come in with Baltimore. Uh, make sure you check out all of our season previews, though. We, we got preview for each team. Uh, I think we had like three or four left. So you guys can find that at just baseball.com, all the divisional previews, all that good stuff that we got going on. And check out uh, Just Fantasy Baseball. Did I get the name of that right? You got you, it. You and Clay are, are breaking down everything. So if you're curious of uh, you know, the fantasy impact of some of the players we talked about today, they're covering all of it ahead of the season. So check that out. Yeah.